you know, there's always been certain shifts that have occurred. You know, the advent of the internet, dissemination of, of web pages, which then led to, you know, essentially the infrastructure that we all live in our mobile devices. And then here we are now in another kind of inflection point with the democratization of so many parts of technology, whether it's infrastructure, data, artificial intelligence. We're living in this other kind of world now where I can't even imagine, you know, this future is going to look like. You know, it's hard to imagine back in the 90s the world. Hi, and welcome to another episode in Conversations with Des. I'm Des Blanchard, your host, and today I have an amazing collection of guests with me. I have uh, two experts who've come from different backgrounds to solve uh, one of the things that I think everybody in time is impacted by, and that is, I guess, um, natural disaster. Uh, so, uh, for want of a better description, we're effectively having a conversation about solving world hunger. So today, I have David Clark with me and Angel uh, Luis Diaz. Uh, hi, David. How are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. And uh, Angel, hi. How are you? Welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. Welcome, everybody. So we're going to get into the detail of what we're going to talk about uh, in a few moments. But what we're talking about is a thing called, uh, called Call for Code. Uh, and David, I'm going to call on you a second to kind of introduce what it is. Um, but first, maybe David, give us a little insight into you personally, a little bit about, uh, I guess, you know, where are you from? What's your background? And how did you come about kicking this thing off? I mean, people will know your name, David Clark, from the David Clark Cause Project you're running. But just give us a little insight into you personally, if you wouldn't mind. And I guess, you know, kind of where you're from, what's your background? How did you come to create the David Clark Cause Project? And then we'll get okay. into the detail of what Call for Code is. Sounds good. So um, I'm from Boulder, Colorado. Um, after surviving 22 years in Manhattan, I'm safely back home. But about 23 years ago, I decided to dedicate uh, myself to creating what I call cause brands. So cause brands are creating a purpose-driven brand that creates a value proposition that many different stakeholders can engage around. So I was lucky that my first client partner, 23 years ago was arguably the most famous man alive. It was Muhammad Ali. So Muhammad wanted to promote tolerance and understanding, and I created a brand called Healing, and we blew it up and created something called the World Healing Project that was actually really interesting. So it was a cause brand that uh, fought bigotry and prejudice. So with that, we started working with the UN, and the project we're probably most known for is working with Nelson Mandela to create his 4664 HIV AIDS initiative. So what our company does is we just create cause brands, um, which kind of led me here today. Fantastic. It, uh, it's inspiring reading and, and folk who are listening, if, uh, I'm sure you will anyway, but go beyond just doing a quick Google of what it is. Have a, have a really good read of the background of, of each of those because I have to admit, I kind of almost teared up when I started reading the background of, of what you achieved with those because they, they weren't just a case of running a, a brand for a cause concept you're talking about. I mean, there's some substantial things that came out of that which we can delve into another time. But um, yeah, if you're listening, just do more than just Google it and have a look at it. Get right in the detail of what David has achieved with each of those because they are astounding. And, and Call for Code is going to be no less astounding. Um, but before we get into that, um, Angel, I'd like to bring you in, if you can, at the moment, just to, again, just to build a rapport with you, get to know you, uh, give us a little insight into you personally, where are you originally from, what sort of background have you had, and I guess, you know, how have you come about to, to getting to the point where you, where you are now, where I guess you, I think your role is officially the VP of Developer Technology and Open Source Advocacy, which is a role that many of us would probably kill for. 
Oh, hey, thanks. You know, look, it's it's real simple. I, I grew up in Puerto Rico, you know, born and raised, graduated high school, got a PhD in computer scientist. I, I view myself as a computer scientist and I, I joined IBM Research. In fact, you know, my first job at IBM, I was so lucky, uh, was working with Tim Berners-Lee in the World Wide Web Consortium, co-authoring many of the web standards we use today, right? And I've always been passionate about communities and about the power of software, and in particular, about the power of technology to to change the world, right? If you look at kind of the history, especially the most recent history of technology, uh, we live in a world that is driven by software. And, and so much good has come from that. And it has really fueled uh, you know, my passion in computer science and certainly what I do uh, with IBM, for IBM, with our clients, with, with uh, uh, ecosystems, and, and frankly, where I am today, uh, which is you know, running everything we do around open source and developers uh, for the company. So, so this initiative is kind of a, a dream come true for me personally. Yeah, I can imagine, and and quite an enviable pedigree and background you've got there. Um, reading some of the the latest work that uh, Tim Berners Lee's uh, doing around kind of reclaiming the internet, uh, that must have been an astounding background to come from. And we'll get into that in a minute. Now, if folk have had a look at the the Call for Code website, um, uh, we're talking on the tenth of July, uh, uh, my time. Uh, here in Australia, and uh, there's about 52 days, I think, from memory uh, before this thing kicks off. Um, David, maybe just give us a bit more uh, of an overview of the project itself. Um, firstly, maybe let's just start with where did it come about? So what was the epiphany? What drove you to kind of sit there and go, you know what, if we threw the hacker ethic and open source uh, with a, a bit of funding and some celebrity support, we could probably solve some of the biggest problems that humans face ever, not just now, but have ever faced and are going to continue to face. And I think it's fair to say that in some way we are all impacted by the concept of natural disasters, uh, either directly or indirectly at some point in our lives. So here in Australia, as we were talking earlier before we hit record, we have an annual fire season. We have summer and winter and autumn and spring and, and then there's fire season and, and we just have, you know, very flammable bush. Um, we've just seen the floods in Japan. I mean, there's, there's a never-ending uh, deluge if you'll pardon the pun, of, of natural disaster to deal with. What was yeah. the sort of the eureka moment that just made you decide to jump out of bed and do this particular one? Yeah, that's a good question. Actually, it, it kind of evolved over the space of about a year. So, you know, when it comes to computer science, I, I'm really a lay person. So I looked at it from a different view. I actually looked at, you know, election hacking that was going on around the world. I looked at malware. And really, for a lay person, it was pretty scary. And I really understood the power of, you know, some rogue developers for the, really the first time. And my thought was, you know, if I was one of the 22 million developers around the world, I would really not want to be painted with that brush. So the idea came to me, could we not create a justice league for good? Could we not create a grand coalition that could engage these developers? And then it led to, well, if that's the idea, well, how do you do it? So the idea was to create an annual initiative that builds over time, that's nimble, so every year we're able to pick a different social issue to tackle. Um, I actually discussed it with some colleagues at uh, the United Nations. They loved it. UN Human Rights loved it in particular because they can be involved every year because whatever the cause is, right, if it's natural disasters or something health-related or education, Really, it's the poor and the marginalized who get left behind. So with the gravitas of the UN, um, talking to some technologists, it's like, listen, who, would we, who could we get that would be the most amazing founding partner? And so 
literally the name that kept coming up is IBM. Oh my goodness, if you could get IBM with their world reach and their history of philanthropy, they would be ideal. So I literally reached out to uh, Angel because people said that was the guy. And he literally answered the call for code. Well, I like that. It, um, Angel, it must have been quite an exciting uh, call to get because, I mean, you know, many times in life we, we have these scenarios where this, this, this moment hits us and all of a sudden all the little bits we're doing in our lives make sense more than any other way. And I, for me, it's like when we had our first child, everything I did made sense. It was like, oh, okay, this is, this is, <laughs> this is what I was setting out to do. I don't know if this is necessarily quite as grand as the first child, but getting that call from David must have kind of felt a little like that it was like, you know what, this just makes sense. And yes, I can definitely get on board with this. What, what was it like getting that call? And I guess what were the, the next key things that rolled from that for you, Angel? Yeah, you know, it, it, well, it certainly was very personal too, right? You know, we, we got hit by a, a storm in Puerto Rico. Uh, my parents live there, right? Uh, in fact, you know, they're still, they're still uh, you know, back and forth between electricity and other things, right? You know, software did make a difference. And in fact, software could make much more of a difference over there in Puerto Rico. So, so yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty impactful. And, and it also, also at the same time, very exciting. Because if you look at technology, you know, just over the past, let's say, 20, 30 years, you know, there's always been certain shifts that have occurred, right? You know, the advent of the Internet, right? The advent of markup like HTML and the dissemination of, of web pages in the world that we live in, which then, which, th which then led to, you know, essentially the infrastructure that we all live in our mobile devices, right? Uh, and then here we are now in another kind of inflection point, right, with the democratization of so many parts of technology, whether it's infrastructure, data, artificial intelligence, right? We're living in this other kind of world now where I can't even imagine uh, what, you know, this future is going to look like. You know, it's hard to imagine back in the 90s the world we were in now, frankly, right? And, 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 and having the ability to apply and help developers not only learn about technologies, but apply those technologies for good is, is just, uh, you know, uh, an amazing opportunity for us and, 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 frankly, amazing opportunity for the tens of thousands of developers already signed up uh, to be part of this Call for Code uh, program. Well, that brings me to my next question, David. <clears throat> um, and when we were we talking about the concept of call for code for for a little while now, just, just this morning, but um, let's dive into what it actually is. I think you know people who will jump on the web and, and do a web search for it and so forth will get it quickly. But if we were going to encapsulate the the idea as a whole, is it fair to say that you've taken a whole range of, I guess. Uh, things around that, not just the hacker ethic and the open source ethic, but in many ways, you know, when you read about some of the background, it, you know, it's, it's startup culture, it's the whole fail and fail fast, it's DevOps, um, it's open source, but it all builds to this crescendo of, a, of an event per se. Is it fair to say it's kind of the, the hackathon of hackathons? Is that kind of really a way to describe it? Give us a little insight into kind of the specifics of what Call for Code is and, and, and what it's building up to and, and where it'll sort of go beyond then. Yeah, it's interesting. I think with the strategic partners that have come to the table, I do think it's the hackathon of, of all hackathons. And, and, and quite frankly, we're not even calling it a hackathon, right? It's this, it's, it's this grand coalition. It's probably the largest engagement of developers ever, and it's getting larger and larger. And in a way, it almost has this, you know, uh, almost like American Idol feeling to it where people are coming to the table, developers are coming to the table because they want to create innovation for social good, but also I think IBM is doing an outstanding job and also our uh, subject matter experts of saying, hey, these are real, you know, these are real challenges that people face 
in preparing for natural disasters and also in recovering. So listen, developers, like what about this, right? So we wanna spark the imagination of developers so they come to the table with amazing ideas. But then there's this also this notion that we're creating the Nobel Prize for developers, right? So if you're the recipient of the Call for Code Global Prize, I mean, number one, to come out of a field of you know hundreds of thousands of developers, there's an ex incredibly large cash prize. But really, the most prestigious thing is the jury that will actually review the final three uh, submissions. You know, they're some of the most iconic developers in the world. So. Uh, Linus Tortevold has confirmed, and we're in the process of talking uh, to other iconic developers. So to actually be named by uh, a jury of your peers um, is great. So we think that's something that's going to continue to uh, capture people's imagination. Oh, no doubt. And, and I think you've really tapped into a vein there in that uh, one of the for me, certainly. I mean, I've had you know decades of, of sort of being a coder. Behind. I mean, I originally started out as a code cutter and a sysadmin on mainframes at the age of 14, escaping oh, wow. from school early. I used to forge my mum's signature. <laughs> In fact, my teachers used to think I had either psychological issues or major dental issues because I would have so many forged notes. Uh, Des has got to go to the dentist or Des has got to go to the psychologist. But I was escaping to go and do afternoon or evening shifts at a data center working on IBM mainframes at the end of the street from my school. Um, and so, you know, decades and decades of being a coder, it, it sort of comes directly back to what you're talking about, that is that often you, you, your work wouldn't get recognized and then eventually you move into open source and you're doing it for a different reason. And this really taps into that, that kind of vein of people wanting to do something uh, better than them, bigger than them. And I think this is going to be one of those bigger and better than all of us combined. Um, and that uh, you know, when you look at the, the ethos that goes behind not just developers and certainly open source, we're really not doing it for the, the rah-rah factor, but nothing gets us excited more than recognition of our peers. So if you write some good code and someone comes along on GitHub or wherever else and makes a comment and says, yeah, that's really good, have you thought of that idea? You really get excited. It's almost more exciting to have the Linus Torvalds of the world sort of go, yeah, good code. Or even if he gives you a hard time about your code and shows you how to do better, someone, <laughs> someone paid attention, right? Um, no, 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 that's important. No, I think, that, I think that's spot on. I think the idea that call for code, really the main driver is to celebrate developers and really, you know, spotlight them and really make your average person like myself understand that the power and potential that exists in these people, you know, if focused can just be, you know, wonderful. So that's a, that's an amazing uh, thing with this project. And also it's, it's, it's important to note that one of the things the winning team gets is an introduction to NEA, which is a remarkable venture capital capital firm. So we want to engage them and actually help take their innovation to the marketplace. So just like a, a flashing comet across the sky, it's not just the innovation. We actually want to see the long tail, which is, you know, innovation that continues to help people day in and day out. Yeah. You know, that that's a really good point, David. You know, the uh, uh, you know, the the winning the winning team will be able to kind of get guidance and take it to the to to NEA, our venture capital founding partner. Uh, but also, the top ten or so projects will live within the Linux Foundation as its own open source entity and continue to evolve and grow. And in fact, the winning project will also be deployed for real out in the field. Uh, the IBM Corporate Services uh, Corps will be will work with the team to actually deploy it and 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 have it used for real in a real environment, which is 
extremely satisfying. So, so you know, the there is there is so much here for everyone. Uh, whether it's the cash prize, the the open source foundation, the venture capital judged by your peers, the award, you know, that that really elevates the the profession of the developer and and, and the individual. Uh, the service corps, and of course, David, the party, right? The, uh, <laughs> you know, the celebration that will occur at the end. I mean, you know, some of the key dates here is, you know, the coding can actually, can, you know, submission for coding started on June 18th. Now you can submit code, you know, uh, anytime, uh, but it, it, but it goes on and it goes on all the way to the end of, of August. And, and then there's judging and so forth that occurs. And then there's going to be a benefit concert and, and some of the top, Top folks will be there, invited. There'll be a, an awesome musical band. Awards will be handed out. It's gonna be it's gonna be a real fun event too. So, Angel, yeah, I'm gonna come point. back to you, Angel, on on the whole open source piece of it because I think that's there's an interesting angle on that with regard to kind of what drives uh, people from that uh, community and particularly IBM's sort of, I, I guess a championing of, of open source in a moment because um, a lot of people don't realize that when you look at the even the latest uh, ZR1 mainframe that was recently launched um, you know it runs Linux natively it runs Hadoop and Spark natively uh, uh, and, and we assume that now but people don't necessarily know that but let's just quick uh, I want to quickly just nail some of the key things you touched on there so David give us a, a quick summary um, if you can of kind of you know, one of the big things we need to do right now, I guess, is uh, people are aware of it, but we want to drive more awareness. And there were a couple of things we talked about earlier before we hit record. So, uh, you know, obviously we want people to jump on and do a bit of a web search and find out what Call for Code is. But just um, give, punctuate some of the key things that we want them to do. So obviously we want them to register. We want them to get on board and become advocates. We want them to have a look at some of the examples and the how-tos and some of the coding models. I think we should also call out my view that we, when we talk about developers, often people might think about Ruby and, and, and on Rails and Python and C and C++ and Perl. But we're also talking about people who are SQL uh, experts or people who are data people, right? And so what are some of the, the key punctuation points around times and dates that we want people to register, get involved, some of the actions, you know, bring a friend, tell a friend sort of things? Um, what are the things you really need people to do right now, David? Yeah, no, following on what Angel said, we need people to go to callforcode.org and figure out how they can engage, right? So if you're a developer, that's obvious. If you're somebody who wants to find a team, you could be a subject matter expert. You could be a first responder who knows, you know, some of the challenges uh, that are facing people in the aftermath of, of natural disasters. So you can actually build a team. We're looking for... Uh, the coding community to embrace this. We're looking for corporate sponsors who really want to stay ahead of the curve and align their uh, corporation with a great corporation like IBM, right? So that's a benefit of having such a powerful partner like IBM. Corporations around the world, through our website, they can figure out how to engage, get their employees excited about their engagement. Um, and then one of the other things we're doing is we actually have a celebrity-driven cause flash and what we're doing right now is we're reaching out to the uh, musical Hollywood community and we're starting to get celebrities that are agreeing that this is so powerful. Uh, in, in effect, it's, you know, we had uh, We Are the World back in the day. This is We Are the Digital World, right? And so they love the idea that they can actually support UN Human Rights and the American Red Cross by joining this grand coalition. So we're going to be doing a huge social media campaign that's going to kick off on UN Human Rights Day, which is August 19th, and that'll start driving more and more excitement and media excitement around the event. And then right now, uh, we're looking at doing a, a global web stream 
of a uh, celebrity-driven concert in San Francisco um, in late October. And we'll actually have an announcement about that in the next few days. But, uh, no, it's very exciting. So the key steps, I guess, uh, jump online. Uh, it's a no-brainer that, that most people know how to find stuff on the Internet. So look for Call <laughs> for Code. Uh, visit the website. Um, you know, jump on your social media platform of choice, I guess, in this case, uh, either Facebook or Twitter are the, probably the most obvious ones. Um, register. I think that's the first step. Jump online and register. I, I, I do like your key point, then. I just want to really hammer that point home. You don't have to be a developer to actually get involved. And I drew a parallel with this when I was doing my own homework before we called in today. And that is that um, a couple of events I'm personally involved in, one is a fitness-related thing, um, and we call it Kayak for Kids. And the idea is that people jump on Sydney Harbour and paddle about 17 kilometres uh, from point A to point B to raise money. And I had a lady ring me one day and said, I'm not very fit, I'm an elderly person, I just don't know how to get involved, I don't think I'll even be able to paddle uh, 100 yards. And I said, well, you know, the great thing is that when you get to the end, uh, there's food and beverages and just getting people a towel. I said, you know, that's as important <laughs> as paddling exactly. the 17 kilometres. And from day one, she's been one of the greatest champions. She's always at the finish line. She's always handing out things. And I think this is really important because when I, you know, yesterday I was telling someone about this from a financial services background and I said to them, you know, you should really get your company behind this. And, and the first response is, well, I'm not a developer. I know nothing about this. And I said, but hang on, you've missed the key point. When I bring developers to your company to solve a problem, none of your team are developers. You don't have a development team. You don't have DevOps. Um, so, you know, wh what does this mean for me? She says, well, it's, well, you're a subject matter expert. You understand how finance works. You bring that knowledge. So I think the key thing for me with this was, as you said, whether you're a first responder, you could be an accountant, you could be a solicitor, you could be a lawyer, it could be anything. If you've got subject matter expertise of any form, have a look at how you can bring it to this. Because I think the, the key thing for me is that natural disaster doesn't discriminate. And I looked at it from that point of view, and that is that, well, solving these problems shouldn't have any form of discrimination about what you can do either. And yes, we're going to have a bunch of developers, and we're going to have systems engineers, and people who know routers and switches and servers. We're going to have coders. We know people who know what pointers to pointers are, but not everyone does. But yeah, I think it's really important that people know that, you know, whether you're a celebrity and you're just doing a retweet, whether you're uh, somebody who can just do spreadsheeting, there's always a seat at the table for you, right? And, and, and that's, I think, more than anything, that's really what jumped out at me, that it's going to be this team effort and, and, and different specialist skills. Um, the developers are sort of enabling it, but they need subject matter experts who can help them find the problems to solve. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, no, no, that's exactly right. It, it's really, you know, it's kind of the grand celebration the coders are bringing, you know, the main dishes, but it's a potluck where everybody can bring a side. So, you know, that's the idea of, of, of really engineering a cause brand properly, where you create this marketplace of ideas where everybody is welcome, everybody can help. And, you know, Angel and I, we get emails every day from, you know, uh, people from every social strata from all over the world saying, hey, you know, I was a first responder, or I was a victim, or I worked in a pharmacy where we ran out of medical supplies. Or So the idea is, you know, we've created this kind of platform of hope and possibility, and it's remarkable to see people show up to actually, you know, make it stronger and stronger. Well, I think, yeah. you, you know, let me... Yeah, David, you yourself are probably the, the classic example of that. And then Angel, sorry to interrupt you, but I mean, David, you yourself said straight out, you're not a developer, but you're driving this whole cause, right? And I think that really is kind of the, the key thing to take away from this more than anything, that you're building something that's that's bigger than any of us, but you've not necessarily come from a developer background. You're just, it's this call to arms, right? Sorry, Angel, what were you yeah. going to say? 
Yeah, I was just going to add, you know, just to double click on the kind of call to action, right? Go to callforcode.org, just register. And then when you're there, you, you can do, you know, one of two things, you know, after you register, you know, you can actually go if you're a developer and get uh, and join a community uh, or if you're not a developer called the coder community. And there there's a lot of pairing and matching going on. It's very vibrant, like literally every couple of minutes, someone's posting a, a message and trying to find a team or, or provide input to a team that's asking a question. You can join a community of thousands right now. Uh, and, and that's and that's very, very beneficial. And you do that when you register. The second thing you can do. So that's kind of the digital interaction. The second thing you can do is you can find uh, literally a city to go to. Uh, since we since we launched this together, we've ran 200 events across the entire world, uh, whether it's at conferences, you know, big, big events, little events, meetups. Uh, some of our clients have been running call for code days. Uh, you can very easily search for a city near you and say, hey, look, there's an event coming up in Bangalore, in Dubai, in New York, right, in Hong Kong. I'm just looking at the website right now, right? Uh, and, and, you know, and, and I happen to be there. You know what? Let me go there and find out what this is about and, and how I can help out because you will find people locally where you are who are trying to do the same thing. And you can meet up and hook up with those folks and join a team as well. So there's a physical dimension and a digital dimension. And, and, and you do that you know, right after you register. It's real obvious how, how to do that. And then you could also go you can triple click, right, and yeah. go deeper into into six areas and look at at the. You know, we divided this notion of preparing for disaster into kind of six areas that are supported by technology. And there's a lot of code, what we call code patterns, uh, uh, learning paths, uh, tech talks, etc., to help you get started on building your app, so that you can just literally press a button deploy your code, have something running, and then fork it, in other words, change it, right, to kind of what you want to build, uh, which is also very satisfying and very exciting. Well, let's call out those six areas because I'd love you to, to give us some insight and kind of, I guess, how you came about forming those. I mean, they seemed a natural fit for me from IBM's background because I, I know IBM as a company and I'm an ex-IBMer over various years myself. But there's everything from, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I'm going off my notes here, but everything from the, the basic concept of building a secure and resilient platform and, and leveraging tools mm -hmm. like uh, blockchain, uh, leveraging AI, and, and I guess, you know, when we think about AI, it's a very broad term, but you know, machine learning and, and deep learning in particular, and I guess natural language processing more than often is a, a very powerful way to throw some smarts at this. Um, the whole uh, analysis piece around um, uh, historical and predictive analysis of data we've got and data we're getting and probably real-time data, applying sort of a mix of data science and citizen data science, which has become a big thing and certainly a, a uh, call cry of IBM's of developing tools that allow people to be uh, citizen data scientists. Um, the, the whole traffic and, and logistics uh, uh, challenge around how do you move things, move people, uh, get them from point A to point B, whether it's food or water and so forth. Um, there's uh, sensor data. It was one of the key points that jumped out at me. How do you take data from around the place? And I know IBM's uh, got something like the weather company, for example, where you can look at what's happening around the place <laughs> and weather. But you know, all types of, of data that's coming from different places, uh, from sensors and devices. And, <clears throat> and then I guess the whole decision-making process, and I think the sixth point was around machine learning and deep learning in particular, with um, visual recognition and, and so forth. I mean, these six... Uh, are, are, I guess, natural fits for, for a lot of big buckets of some of the challenges. Um, give us some insight into sort of how they can be formed and, and where they're going to lead us, uh, I guess, because they, they're common places for people to sort of gravitate around. I'm sure they'll, they'll form out further over time. 
Yeah, what we found is, you know, whether whether you're looking at droughts, hurricanes, tsunamis, whatever, you know, those type of disasters which we talk about, it boils down to a set, uh, there are a set of common high-level patterns, exactly the six ones that you mentioned, right? That really kind of if you bring them together the right way, can help solve you know, problems within each of those. So these are come almost kind of horizontal-like technology patterns that, that can be applied to a variety of different uh, natural disaster use cases. Use cases. For example, uh, our very first hack that uh, that we ran was at VivaTech, where our CEO, Ginny, launched this. Um, and uh, the winning, uh, we had about 150 teams or so there participating. Uh, the winning team did a really cool uh, a kind of a phone app using Cormel, which is uh, Apple's uh, 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 machine learning uh, capability using uh, IBM's Watson visual recognition capability on the cloud, right, to recognize real-time sign language, right? So you could recognize what someone is saying, and then you could actually speak to the phone and, and answer back in a way that that uh, that helps them understand what you're saying as well, if need be. So, so you know that that is kind of uh, an amazing uh, an amazing application, an application that uh, that, as you can imagine, applies in disasters. The the runner up was a drone, a drone that would fly literally, and it, this thing ran when they presented it on stage, would fly over houses doing visual recognition. Uh, applying uh, some deep learning algorithms using TensorFlow, okay, and, and Spark, and, and would look at and identify whether or not there were people on the houses that needed to be saved, right? And we'll go back uh, and, and, and kind of, you know, provide, you know, the you know, suggestions on some of the best ways to go to help those people, right? So those are examples of, of kind of horizontal technologies which can be applied to a variety of, of, of different cases. Behind each one of those, we provide code, code patterns, sample code, code that works, code that you can start, and then you can just kind of start building your applications from there. There's something that really struck me with this, and, and I've noticed with some research that's been done lately <clears throat> around the generational shift where um, you know, baby boomers are about building physical things and roads and infrastructure and houses and hospitals. And we had sort of the various generations that left, Gen Y, who were sort of trying to find their way in the world. What we're finding now with the data is that Gen Z, the next big generation, this really tugs on their heartstrings because these are the gener this is the generation that's doing the stuff you're talking about. They... They're more entrepreneurial. They are. They sort of think like startups naturally because they've they've never known a world without the internet. They've never known a world without smartphones. And in many ways, this is the perfect call to action for them because <clears throat> they're all looking to solve world hunger. They just want a way to get to that. Um, so, assuming oh. assuming people get online, they know about it. They register. Um, uh, what are some of the other ways, David, they can kind of get involved in that? You know, what if I have a look and say, for example, Sydney, there isn't a meetup yet. Is, what are the key steps for me to sort of go and find a group? Because I know you're doing physical events, but you mentioned before you're doing virtual events. You're going to do some various um, web streams and dial-ins and I imagine sort of webinar format content as well. What are the key, if I want to get involved, I'm in Sydney. What are the key steps for me? I, 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 let's assume I know nothing about it. I do a web search. I get online. I register. I, I follow the hashtag, I join the Facebook group and so forth. What are the key steps to just getting started uh, from zero to hero, as it were? Yeah, no, I think you laid part of that out, right? They've got to get to the website and they've got to, you know, take a look at like, how do we create our, our meetup group? And Angel, what would you say the best way to get people to do that is? Like, yeah, I mean, that's right. That? Yeah, I think I think what you do is you simply register and and from there you go you you you're automatically part of the coder community 
and you you post a hey I'm here uh, you know I live in Australia I live in Sydney anybody <laughs> you know and then all of a sudden folks will reply uh, we we got a Slack channel people hanging out with uh, as well and 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 that's kind of literally within seconds you'll get an answer of somebody else and and folks forming groups and 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 that's how that's kind of how it happens now you know in addition to that there's there's regularly scheduled things so they are. A couple times a week, office hours. Uh, by the way, we have technical captains for each of the different uh, patterns and areas that, ha- that essentially hold kind of webcasted office hours. People show up, ask questions, and and and, and the developers kind of work together and talk talk about talk about uh, ideas or problems or solutions. Uh, you know, there are a regular there's a regular drumbeat of folks who aren't developers talking about problems that need to be solved. Right, which is also very exciting. Those are very well attended. So, so there's a calendar there that you can kind of look at and, and just sign up for various things. You get a reminder; it shows up in your calendar, and you can engage virtually as well, um, and, and join a, a whole variety of the virtual events. So, so that's kind of how you get engaged, and, and it's literally that simple. I love it. Yeah. One of the things I was, I was just, just going to quickly add is there's a frequently asked questions as well, right? So when I jumped on, naturally I was looking at from how do I get involved as well. And once I registered, the thing that really jumped out at me was there's an FAQ, a frequently asked questions that answered about 80% of what I had and the rest of it I just read from the website. Yeah, that's right. And if you have any questions, actually, you, know, you just go to the contact uh, section and you can reach out to us directly, right? So that's great if you're an individual uh, and you don't, you know, you need some uh, a question clarified. If you're an organization, if you're an NGO, if you're a corporation, so you know, there's contact for everybody. So we can actually uh, respond and and make sure you fit into the the grand puzzle in the appropriate spot. So say someone uh, is in Sydney. Um, someone you might have just met. Um, I guess one of the key things for me with these things when you scale up is that you know, it's great to be able to deal with the individuals, but we also want to find the champions of champions, I guess, and that is that people are going to create the local meetups, build the teams. Uh, if, if somebody has that in them and wants to create a meetup and, and build a team, um, is it fair to say that we would love to find folk who want to form teams? I mean, it's great to get the 22 million individual developers behind this because that's kind of where a lot of the things, that, you know, when we, uh, we were talking earlier, and when you look at your smartphone, whether it's a, you know, it doesn't matter what brand it is, it's got some open source in it. When you're looking at your laptop, there's some open source in it. The internet's built on open source. So there's a whole developer community of individuals. Um, is it fair to say that we would love to get some champions who are going to create those meetups and, and, and coordinate and organize at a regional level? Uh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're inspired at a regional level to be a champion, there's there's certainly a way to do that. In fact, you know, we we kind of uh, when you look at how you can participate uh, off the callforco.org amplify slash amplify, just click on the amplify button. It says push for change. And this actually talks about how you can be what we call a call for code camp uh, captain within your own region. Uh, there's a whole kit that you can download with, you know, how, how do you how do you run a call for code event? Where do you post it? How do you post it? How do you get people engaged? You know, everything from promotional flyers to, you know, how to get goodies, all kinds of stuff. So, yeah, there is a way to do that. And, and you can just register to be a captain uh, right online off the Amplify uh, uh, site there. And it's the push for change button. Fantastic. Now, um, you did mention before, I mean, there are some prizes. I think there's a, a 250000 US dollar uh, first prize. There's a second and third uh, podium spot for about, I think it's 25000 I doubt anyone's actually getting involved for the money, but that's a great incentive. Um, above and beyond all of this, one of the things that really jumped out at me as well is that um, 
uh, when we build things, we want them to get a life of our own. It's almost like for a developer, in my mind, part of our legacy in life is to build something that gets a life of its own and goes off and continues to run, whether it's a piece of open source code or in many cases, it's now a phone app. Um, David, what are the key steps around this process where leading up to the big shebang and then beyond, I'm really keen to sort of get some insight into if I'm a developer individually or I form a team, let's say we build something in, in that sort of classic hackathon ethic, we get the thing running. You mentioned there's an opportunity to put it in front of a VC. Uh, and then, Angel, I'd like to come back to you and talk about how that then becomes a product and an app and potentially gets supported within the IBM community and, and within the um, Linux Foundation. Because I think there's this build-up to the crescendo of the big shebang, uh, but then there's that, that period between the annual events that I'd love to get into in a minute. But first, David, uh, some of the key highlights around, you know, I get the thing running, I'm a developer, I'm part of a team maybe, we get an app running, we solve a problem. Uh, what are the big things that they can sort of look forward to with regard to potentially putting it in front of the VC and getting it turned into something? Yeah, no, that's actually a really important point because a lot of these big initiatives, right, you kind of get to the big the, the big crescendo and then, you know, all of a sudden you just look down at the floor and see all the confetti, right? What, what What's next? So one of the things that we think is, is particularly engaging is developers, they want to see results. So we're in the process of scheduling an event in November where we will actually look back on all of the events of 2018 and we're going to show, you know, what happened to a lot of this code, right? And we're very optimistic and excited about uh, NEA, our VC partner, so they can actually help bring some of this to life, right? And also IBM in terms of employing it in the field. I mean, that is just massive. So I think if you're a developer, this is an exciting platform because you see that you're not just kind of throwing ideas into the abyss. You're actually seeing real-life solutions that in many times will actually save lives and certainly, you know, elevate the human condition. Absolutely. And Angel, there's, there's a whole range. I mean, we could spend a whole show talking about this, but the whole range of things that IBM brings to this that aren't always obvious. I mean, um, you know, it's not just the company and the brand and, and the $30 million being thrown out of five years, but... Uh, you know, IBM has been a massive advocate for open source for a long time. It's been probably one of the biggest developers of software, full stop. I mean, when we think about things that people might not know, I mean, IBM is one of the few companies that can run the Olympics, for example. Uh, it has a whole <laughs> business unit that runs the Olympics. It's got a specialist platform of software that's just designed to do nothing but rock up every couple of years and run the Olympics. Um, so this is the kind of thing that IBM has a pedigree of. And when we think about, um, I guess, you know, and very... Often we talk about developers with this, but I want to reiterate that you don't have to be a developer. You could be someone who's really good at data, really good at math, or just knows how to solve problems. So you've got platform as a service, software as a service, infrastructure as a service. There's the whole Bluemix uh, Cloud Foundry-based stack. There's Watson. What are some of the things that people, if I was going to start out and go, you know, what's the first thing I do? Um, what are some of the things that you can imagine that, that IBM's whole gamut can bring to this around? I'm registered. I want to look at some of the example code. I've read the how-tos. I've got a couple of example models. What, what are some of the things that people can jump to straight away within the IBM ecosystem to, to just tap into, whether it's the, the, the free couple of months on data science experience or, or signing up for a free trial of, of, of Bluemix? Yeah, yeah. So let me try to break this into because that's a big question, but let me try to break it into three pieces. I mean, look, the first thing is you go to developer.ibm.com forward slash call for code, right? Uh, that's kind of where you'll find uh, a lot of resources around this. And absolutely, uh, everything across cloud, data, AI, transactions is based on open source uh, technology. In fact, 
uh, we've, we have many sponsors and supporters which are open source communities themselves, the Cloud Foundry Foundation, the Node Foundation, the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, that's where Kubernetes comes from, right? You know, we've got a rich history in helping start the open source movement, right? Back in the days of Linux, authoring the Apache license, right? To, you know, where we are now in the renaissance of open source, you know, helping create centers of gravity around cloud data and AI. Uh, at the uh, cloud side of things, uh, you know, whatever your main uh, application types are, whether it's container-based for microservices, 12-factor apps with Cloud Foundry, or, or serverless, right, with something like OpenWhisk, you know, we provide uh, knowledge and capability to help you do that. When you're looking at data uh, and AI, all of the uh, PyTorch, TensorFlow, Spark, all the deep history that we have uh, in Hadoop and bringing the data and AI worlds together, uh, whether it's uh, you know something as quote unquote simple of, as you know language translation or language understanding or tone analysis to deep learning or even reasoning in some cases, right? Uh, we've got technology to help folks do that, um, and and then of course uh, on the transaction side, you know everything that we're doing around Hyperledger. You know when you when you sign up um, uh, uh, for Call for Code, you get free access to uh, the IBM Cloud and all of our services. Full stop. Uh, so you, you know, we provide that uh, as part of our commitment. Uh, so in addition to all of that, those platform aspects, you have a wealth of APIs to use, right? I, kind of, I almost view today's world of development as, as being, frankly, a computer science artist, right? You have a canvas which can grow any size you want, you know, cloud, and then you have, uh, you know, brushes and colors, and those are all the APIs and technologies you have to kind of help you draw your painting. All you need to do as a developer nowadays is, frankly, build your painting. Um, and, and you can bring in APIs from anywhere in the world. In fact, you know, one of the ones that, that I think David mentioned was, uh, you know, our, our weather APIs, which obviously is a real important, uh, important aspect for this particular uh, challenge. The right. last thing I'll mention, uh, and, and, and the final thing, and, and I mentioned this again, is is the notion of code patterns. Because, you know, um, you know, vision without execu execution is hallucination, right? And you want, and 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 you don't want to hallucinate. You want to get to running code, right? So the the whole idea, if you think about it, if you're not a developer, let's say you you write, you know, you do you build PowerPoint presentations or whatever, you you rarely start from scratch, right? You always start from the last thing you built or from something that inspired you, right? Mm. Um, and back in computer science, you know, when I used to teach graduate students, uh, you know, we were living in the gang of four design patterns for computer science. And we're, we have a new era now of design patterns. So it's, it's a much higher level than, than programming language design patterns, but that's where we're starting to emerge. So we're providing these patterns of what we're seeing are the most common patterns to get started. And, and that's what allows you to move from a vision to execution in a very, very fast way, literally one click to code, one click to deployment. And, and that's real important. I like that. The, the, I think the, the key thing for people to take away from this more than anything is that most of the work is done for you around the formation of the, uh, the, the whole platform. Most of the work's already done for you as far as the, the enablement of tools and systems and code patterns and design patterns. It's really, I think it comes back to, you know, find an area you're passionate about, find a problem that you want to work on, bring a few friends, form a team, um, David, next next steps from here. So 
I think one of the things I want to just reiterate that you highlighted before, just to call out, is that, I mean, you know, this is year one, but you mentioned earlier uh, when we were talking before we hit record, I mean, year one is already effectively a success in many ways, from what I can tell, and that is that you've got some great foundational partners, you've got some great funding, the thing's up and running, you've run over 200 events. Uh, It's almost, uh, it's one of those things where you (laughs) you, you can tick the box at a success now that you can focus on the, you know, what do we need to solve? Um, what are some of the big things that we need to think about between now and sort of the, the, the main shebang? Um, and then beyond that, what sort of things should we be thinking about? And, and I want to come back to you on one other question around the, the difference between responding and reacting to natural disaster versus preparedness. Um, but yeah. key points to think about between now and the big shebang, and then, you know, what next? What comes after that? How do we keep the momentum rolling? Yeah, so it's really driving people to callforcode.org. We want to engage everybody, every organization, right? So that's that's number one, right? It, it, it's get on board. This is amazing. Let's do this, right? And so once we get up to the award event, we're very excited to really take this out, take the results out to the world. And that's really kind of a celebratory event where, right, we're bringing in the iconic developers. We're bringing in celebrity dignitaries, Um senior leadership from the from the UN, from the Red Cross. So that's really going to be uh, the amazing party. Then it's it's continuing. It's it's really showing the results, right? And that's the thing. Once you've shown that that's successful, people, people you know, they gather, right? So um, especially through the global webcast, it'll give so many people around the world a chance to really see developers in a new light. And again, I'm a lay person, so I keep, I keep coming back to that. When you understand the power and potential that a developer has, you know, it's awe-inspiring. Oh, and then absolutely. It's getting, right? It's getting into next year. It's, it's running a, re, a recap, really an autopsy on everything that happened so people understand how we can continually refine it. And, you know, we're grateful to, to IBM for making a five-year, $30 million commitment. Uh, and quite frankly, that's, you know, a, a bold thing to do and definitely em, emboldens other corporations to, to, to come support us. Uh, and it's really to, to grow it every year, quite frankly. Well, IBM is famous for uh, making bold uh, uh, things happen, and I think the uh, the ethos that's always underpinned IBM, this whole thing different, to, is kind of where it's really uh, uh, brought this to the forefront. Uh, one of the things I'd like to just touch on, uh, the event, the, the main crescendo is over, the event's done, there's 12 months between now and the next one. Um, for me, in many ways, when I look at this, and, and, and Angel just touched on this in a really nice way, when you start developing code or whether you're doing a new PowerPoint for a presentation, invariably we don't start from scratch. Um, there's, I think to me, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, David, we have till now been very reactive to natural disaster. And, and obviously there are organizations within, you know, federal, state, government, there's not-for-profit charities who think about how to deal with, with these things. And, you know, firefighting groups fill up their tanks of water and, and have their boots lined up. But invariably, we, you know, like even this disaster we have currently where there's some kids locked in a cave and, they you know, for various reasons yep. they got stuck there. The world has come to do everything they can for this. Um, we could have thought about what happens if you go in a cave and what happens if it floods and so forth. But invariably, we don't do that. We're often reactive. In the developer world, when we start to work on an idea, we, we do, as Angel said, we start to look for code that's been done before. We try not to reinvent the wheel. 
to me, this seems to be like flipping the switch on this whole uh, problem solving around natural disasters. And that is that now we're going to be less reactive and be more responsive and that there's going to be more tools, more apps, more data, more insights and more preparedness such that we're almost kind of waiting for natural disaster to happen to pounce on it because we're ready for it. Yeah, no, no, that's exactly right. And that actually, I think, brings hope to a lot of people, right? We, we can't stop natural disasters, but through technology, we can prepare for them, right? And I think when you're prepared, you know, that is a powerful uh, state of mind to be in. So I think that's, it's really kind of twofold, right? It's really 50-50 that we're focusing people on, you know, how to become resilient, how to prepare, how to make sure that things are ready so when they happen, we can deploy. And then on the flip side, you know, if you're a victim of natural disasters, you know, how, you know, how do you get the supplies and the attention that you need in real time, right? There should never be a situation where, and I think this happened in, in Puerto Rico, right? So there's tremendous need, and I think, you know, supplies are stockpiling in a warehouse, and people are like, we don't even know where to send them. I mean, that is just, you know, a fundamental uh, mistake, right? So it's it's looking at things that have worked in the past. It's looking at things that have not worked in the past and taking learnings from both. No, absolutely. Now, before we wrap up, one of the things I would love to do for both of you is uh, I'm going to hand you a virtual crystal ball and get you to both gaze into it deeply for a moment. Um, Angel, I'm going to ask you first, if you don't mind, if you were to look at where we're at now, I mean, this is an amazing project. I, I, I can't even begin to imagine what it's like to be inside David Clark's head and have this eureka moment come about. Um, you yourself, Angel, mentioned that you've got personal family experience in this space. Um, if you were to look between now and the next sort of, you know, 12 to 18 months and beyond, if you're going to look what's over the horizon, what are some of the big things that you'd like people to, con to contemplate and think about? And what can they sort of, you know, anticipate that they can either get involved in if they want to become an advocate or a team member or build a, a meetup or even, uh, as David just said, you know, the sorts of things that we're thinking about now where th there is a support network being built, there's capabilities being built that are going to make it easy to deal with some of the bigger problems that come along. What are the big ideas, the big trends that we can sort of think about in the next 12 to 18 months and beyond, uh, Angel, that you can see coming out of this? And what key points do you want to leave people with? Yeah, you know, look, I, I think if um, if I look back, uh, let's say a year from now at this, you know, I, I think... Uh, it's going to be pretty exciting just judging by what's happening already. You know, we will have had some pretty, I, I would imagine, amazing innovations in computer science and software uh, apply because of the application of that to real societal problems. And then we'll also see some amazing uh, changes in society for good. Right. And we'll see those deployed in the field because, you know, we will actually go do that. And then you pair that with uh, open source ecosystems around those ideas so they can continue to grow. So you'll, you'll continue to see kind of a, a community of folks adding to, adding more ideas and, 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 and adding more value in solving those problems. Uh, because of the fact that these, these projects, these things will live on in open source, the, the movement of this year will continue, right? Will continue because that's the nature of open source. Passionate people get together, form meritocracies, build code. Right. And that's what we'll be doing with the partnership of uh, with the Linux Foundation here. Uh, and then, of course, we move into the next topic. Uh, and I'm sure it's going to be an exciting topic. Uh, and, it, and, it, and, 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 you know, judging by, you know, the number of folks we have now, we're hoping that that will be even bigger uh, the year to come. I like that. It, I did some math, by the way, when, you know, when, when I was reading the website and I said, you know, we're anticipating 22 million developers. I mean, if every developer is making $100 an hour, it's $2.2 billion 
an hour's worth of value of human thought being thrown <laughs> at this thing, right? Just uh, at, the, at the developer core, if you multiply that by sort of five or six, uh, given that we're going to have non-developers and, and, and so forth involved, that's nearly a trillion dollars an hour of, of brain power. David, big uh, over-the-horizon um, crystal ball-gazing uh, ideas. I mean, you've obviously done some amazing stuff with this, and congratulations to both of you, but certainly for, for starting this whole campaign. Uh, fantastic uh, concept to bring IBM to the table. It's a natural fit, and I'm sure a number of IBM's partners like Apple and others that they work closely with or Salesforce are going to throw a lot of, of, of uh, power behind this as well. So it's a natural fit there. Uh, what, what are some of the big things that if you were just to sort of close your eyes for a moment and put your hand on your heart and go, you know what? The key takeaways I want people to go from this is, you know, it's a, obviously, you know, get involved, register, join, read the FAQ, form a team, create a, a meetup group if there isn't one, or join one, dial in, write some code, participate. What are the, some of the other big aspects that you want people to leave this conversation with and sort of think about going towards not just the big crescendo event itself, but over the next year or two? You know, what are the things that you'd like them to think that are a little out of the box, ideas that you'd like them to sort of get a bit of a life of their own that they can sort of bring back into this? Yeah, that's actually a, a good a good good way to look at it. Yeah, we want people to bring out of the box ideas to us. I think the nature of this is is so unique that that's that that you know it's an out of the box idea on its own. So we want to encourage, we want to inspire, we want to really through IBM and all the other strategic partners who've come to the table really enable these people, empower people to to get involved. Right again, not just developers. But everybody. So I would love in a year, two years, five years, ten years, for everyone to absolutely just know the power of Call for Code, and then it really is this remarkable initiative that they can interact with. And I believe that you know the most renowned NGOs, world leaders will you know easily engage. So the the process will grow. It'll continue to um, gain gravitas as we go. And it'll actually enable us to solve real-world problems. Oh, I love that. What a fantastic thought to wrap up on. And the, the thing that I would love to also add just briefly is that uh, yesterday having a conversation with someone from a financial services background, uh, and, and she obviously wanted to get involved and just didn't really know whether she could get involved as a non-developer. Um, I, I just made it really clear and said, you don't have to be a developer to get involved. You can bring a lot of subject matter expertise to this. But also, I think one of the things I also want to leave people with is that when we think about developers writing code and building towards sort of open ideas, open models, open platforms, and certainly open source, um, um, the bulk of business today is built on open source thinking, open source concepts, open source code. And uh, I think e if organizations can see an opportunity to bring their own teams to this, there's a number of upsides because it, it's a great way for them, to, if they haven't yet uh, developed uh, this sort of community inside their organizations who are developer-focused and DevOps-focused and certainly open source savvy and aware, beyond the developers yep. in their organization, they can kind of bring this awareness and culture into them, their own businesses and own organizations whilst solving world hunger, if you like. Um, and that gets a momentum of its own. And I think that sort of is one of those things that's almost a feedback loop that the idea creates an idea that creates an idea. And I love this. So look, David, thank you so much for your time and congratulations on Call for Code. It's huge, huge success already, as you said, in year one and has even finished year one. Uh, I can only imagine where it's going. And, and Angel, uh, just can't even imagine what it's like to wake up every day and jump into your shoes and, and have this exciting thing at your fingertips. And uh, looking forward to seeing where this goes yourselves. It's been a pleasure to have you both on there. Angel, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. 
And David, thank you for joining us. And I, I look forward to getting you both on the show again soon to sort of look at the next thing. Uh, David, congratulations. It's an absolutely fantastic initiative and, uh, and I can only imagine where it's going to go. And it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Great. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you, Des. Absolute pleasure. Well, thank you very much, folks, for tuning in. Uh, you've heard some amazing insights from, from uh, Angel uh, Luis Diaz, who's the IBM VP developer, uh, technology, open source uh, advocate. And, and uh, you've uh, heard from David Clark, who is the creator of the David Clark Cause uh, Foundation and, and the Call for Code project. Uh, if you haven't uh, already, whilst you've been listening, jump online, do a quick web search for the phrase Call for Code. Jump on callforcode.org and register. Uh, register yourself personally. Ideally, bring a friend, tell a friend, form a group. Uh, if there isn't already a meetup in your area, create one. Uh, it's pretty easy to do. Dial into some of the stuff that's already online around social media. The, follow the hashtag on Twitter. Jump on the Facebook page. It's pretty easy to find. Uh, and just tune in. Dial in. It's really easy to get started. And then find something that you're really passionate about yourself and bring it on. Because we all have stories. We all have backgrounds. We all have anecdotes that are directly, indirectly around us. People are affected or we've been affected ourselves that can help with this. Uh, and let's see what you can do. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks again, Angel and David. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And we'll look forward to you in the next Conversations with Des podcast series. Appreciate your time. We'll see you next.